Welcome back to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan. This podcast is for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. As always, I'm honored that we're spending time together today, and I am delighted to introduce my guest. Elizabeth Savage is a leader in embodied mindfulness. Through the lens of yoga, bodywork, and coaching, she empowers people to heal, live fully, and embrace the power of freedom. She guides people through an experience of waking up to their brightest self. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Cindy. I'm happy to be here. I love that, waking up to their brightest self. (laughs) I love it too. It makes me think of a phrase I used often at the end of my yoga classes in reference to polishing our heart, that in a sense, our heart has a light. And the more time we spend kind of resting into the sensations of our body, the more polished and bright our heart becomes. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. So I want to start off with my favorite question, and that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Mm, It's such a great question. And one of the things that really stands out for me and rings true for me in that question is the concept of exploring. There was a time in my early 20s when I was going into and participating in my master's program where um, the majority of my work was spent around gathering information and becoming knowledgeable as if that was the goal in life, was to gather information. And it wasn't until I really stepped into the world of yoga that I embraced and understood that it's the process of exploration that really brings everything together. And, you know, when it comes down to the seasons of life, I originally would have thought it was something like moving from adolescence into parenthood or adulthood, and then moving into the next phase and the various chapters of life. And now I understand that really, I think it's about that thread that binds all of our seasons, all of our transformations together and managing that equanimity or that balance that exists as we change, because inevitably that's all that we do is change. And can we stand our ground? Can we feel secure truly in a world that uh, it doesn't offer a sense of security with any sort of factual evidence? So it's really within ourselves that we can focus on maintaining that sense of balance as the seasons change, whether we're talking about literally the seasons around us or the seasons of our own growth, the challenges that come with it and the fears, the uncertainties, all of which if we if we can find that balance of stillness inside, we can truly weather those seasons. So Elizabeth, you see why that's my favorite question, <laughs> because all of my guests, you know, they they have their own nuances and they come at it from different angles, but it's revolving around that change that we all go through. Right. Right. That inevitable change. Exactly. <laughs> so 
What has been your journey to becoming a leader in embodied mindfulness and a yoga instructor and a coach? Can you kind of take us through that journey of what what brought you to today? Gosh, Cindy, Cindy, it's for me, I would have to go back to being an adolescent. I was raised in a Catholic family and we went to, we were the kind of family that would go to church every Sunday. We practiced, you know, the high seasons and really embraced our faith. And yet I always wondered about it. I, I always wanted to understand why. And um, I, yeah, I was called the Doubting Thomas in my family. But what it ended up doing was le- uh, leading me through a conversation around religion, which then led me to a conversation around what it is to be a human being. And when I really peered into what it is to be a human being, that's really where my journey started because I began to, like your first question, I began to explore and wonder. And that wonderment led me through the various phases of my life. I was, you know, I was a high schooler, I went into college, and then I went into a master's program and unexpectedly became a parent in my early 20s. And that kind of threw me into parenthood. And I took the element of wonder that I had brought into my studies and I took it into my parenting. And I began to watch what it was to see children explore and wonder. And I loved that innocence. And, uh, and you know, and so and most of it was most of my unfolding at that time was very knowledge based. You know, you could see I was growing in my education. I was gathering more information. And it wasn't until I fell ill with what was at the time determined to be an autoimmune disease, but today it's still kind of uncertain. After after I had my second child, I was suddenly um, stuck with double vision. Out of nowhere, I woke up one morning and my eyes just didn't see straight. And it was a bizarre experience and one that left me relying upon many other people in order to get through my day. And that is when I found yoga. I tried Western medications. I tried a lot of different options on how to try to heal what was happening in my body. And it wasn't until I began moving my body and feeling my body and wondering about my body that I then made the connection to the power of my nervous system and the impact of that on my sense of self and my um, knowledge. My knowledge really didn't matter anymore. It really was about how was my body feeling and what was it attempting to communicate and how was I going to take that communication and accept it? it you know, allow just like the changes or the seasons of life, how was I going to accept that my body was going to do whatever it was going to do and I couldn't control it with my thoughts? And so then I had to start practicing and practicing. And obviously, because of the ailment, I became quite devoted to honoring my body and the sensations and the feelings inside of it. And that um, that devotion then amounted to me wanting to teach others. What ended up happening in the long run was that I healed my vision issues and learned how the practice of yoga or mindful movement could adjust and change and shift my physical well-being, which then changed the way I perceived the world, the way I experienced the world. So they all kind of go hand in hand, but I always approached it from 
the other direction from more knowledge will help me understand how it's all going to work rather than listen to my nervous system, listen to my body, experience the change of seasons around me, you know, the transformations of becoming a parent or um, suffering through monetary hardships or having to move and relocate. All of those changes create an emotional impact in the body and the nervous system responds. And if I can maintain, if I could learn to maintain the stillness inside, I had more awareness of how to care for my own being. And uh, the devotion to that has now led me to a point where I, I share that with people. In fact, it seems more like people hear about it and see me in my practice and want it. They come to me for that, uh, that experience. Can we just talk a little bit about, for somebody who may not know what embodied mindfulness is? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it seems kind of strange. Um, going back to that need for gathering knowledge for me, you know, when we hear the word mindfulness, which is really kind of a key term right now, it's, it's, a, it's one of those clicky, clicky words out there. And, you know, mindfulness, when we think about it, we think about the mind. And what does the mind do? The mind thinks. I like to move that into the awareness of sensation, Embodiment is to be alive, is to be in physical form and moving. When a body is alive and vital, the nervous system communicates. And so it's not about the thoughts, but more about the sensations. And then feeling the sensations and um, acknowledging them, honoring them, which if you think about it, this is one of the things I love to do in my yoga practice is bring my clients, bring my practitioners back to the sensations in their body. Because when we are aware of our sensations and we can feel them, we are the closest we could possibly be to being in the present moment. If you think about your sensations, the sense of smell happens now. You can imagine a, the scent of burning leaves or spring flowers, but you can only smell the scent that is here and now. Everything else is nostalgia or a dreaming of the future, but to really be with your sensations here and now gives you a presence, which takes you immediately into a sense of stillness. And from there, you can truly decide how to respond to life, decide how to respond to the sensations rather than, you know, other, rather than living a reactionary lifestyle. So when we are embod when we are mindfully embodying life, we are aware of the taste on our taste buds now, the vibration of sound in our eardrums now. And you know, for me, what happens in those moments is I feel like I'm steeping myself like a tea bag into a teacup full of gratitude. And it's mm -hmm. just to be in gratitude. I thought, I believe that gratitude might just be the most precious medicine we can give ourselves. You know, there, it's like love, very, very much the same. To be fully aware is to be embodied mindfully. You said something that really hit home for me when you were talking about more cert certifications, you know, more knowledge. <laughs> I tell people it's the booby prize. <laughs> knowledge is the booby prize. It really is. 
you know, and I mean, and maybe I'm naive and that's okay. I am completely fine with being naive. Um, you know, going back to my Christian upbringing, um, the saying was what you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if we were to take that in any other, oh, you know, I probably should acknowledge, I then carried myself on aside from being um, an instructor and a coach and a teacher. I also teach world religions for a local university. So that's also a, a, another element to my being. But if we look at that concept of becoming like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, think about when you were five, how alive the world was. You were full of sensation. You know, and as we get older, we seem to kind of dampen that awareness because of our thinking, our knowledge and, you know, all of the stuff from the past that kind of shapes how we experience life today. If we could let go of that, if we could release that knowledge and just be in the sensation of now, we become like a child. I think it's a beautiful thing. And it, and it takes me right back to your original question. How do we explore the seasons of life? How do we, you know, to explore is to be like a child, is to be aware now. You're bringing such richness to even to that first question, you know, as you're, you know, talking about the um, the verse that you just used. And I'm also thinking about, I wanted to go back to the certifications just for one second. Mm -hmm. Even as a coach, we can think we need one more certification one more certification, you know, one more certification. Always, always. I just got to have this. I got to have this. And then I can have, and then I can be that. <laughs> yes. And it's really about being first, right? Absolutely. Always, always. You know, I have a mentor that I talk to once a week. And one of the greatest components that he provides me is that reminder of believing and knowing in my bones who I truly am. When I've polished my heart and it is shining, nothing gets in the way. And I am, I shine, I shine. And it's, you know, oftentimes what, what kind of like a speed bump in my road is for me personally is when I start to become clever. Being clever is very much like getting those certifications. It's, it's more knowledge. It's adding a layer that's just unnecessary in life. I mean, don't, I, I, I don't mean to, um, disqualify certifications. Education is a wonderful thing, but it shouldn't be used to stop us from being the brightest self that we can be. Just because you don't have that certification, um, oh, or gosh, I mean, here's an easy one. Just because you think of yourself as inflexible doesn't mean you don't have the ability to practice whatever it is that you're practicing, whether it's you know flexibility and yoga um, practicing the wonderment of science. If you're gaining education around science, there are certainly things that we need to be qualified to practice or to teach others or work with others. But so often people allow the, I need to have in order to be concept in their lives that it just takes us out of the truth and the truth is that we're, we're always moving. We're always going forward. And you can't, you are who you say you are at the end of yeah. the day, you know, Absolutely. And our, our words create that. Um, my mentor, when he started, so he, Mike Robbins is his name and he's published several books and he's a public speaker that travels around the country speaking mostly for corporations. He's brilliant. He's wonderful. And the most kind soul. 
And um, he said when he first created his website back, this was probably 25 years ago, he put on his website that he was an author and yet he hadn't published a book yet. And he said, you know, that there were there were authors who challenged him with that. And he said, well, you know, I write. Isn't that enough for now? And he said, by just declaring that it pulled him forward and allowed for him to be who he said he was. So I like the idea of turning the have do be upside down and turning it into the be do have. Oh, yes. I love that. I And I heard that. Gosh, I only just heard that about a year ago. Be do have. Yeah. And and I love that concept. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Elizabeth, you mentioned yoga. So I want to go there for just a second. Do you remember your first yoga class? <laughs> uh, I think I need to qualify which one was an actual yoga class because I remembered two. I remember going to the YMCA and, you know, practicing yoga. Um, and at the time it was in order to become healthy. Right. And there was, you know, there were movements and there was a right way to do things. And and it was all, um, you know, it was it was as if somebody was telling me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, except it was with my body. Do this with your hand, do that with your foot. And, you know, and and there you go. Now you're standing in a warrior, too. You know, and it was this, you know, oh, great. I got that where my second go around, which was probably maybe three or four years later, when I actually asked someone to start teaching me yoga, and it was a one-on-one experience, the purpose wasn't to um, do a physical exercise, although that was certainly a byproduct, most definitely a byproduct. The practice was more to find stillness and well-being, to find health within me. And that practice stands out for me much more as my first yoga class, because what it taught me was to put, you know, put my foot here, put the other foot there, extend my arms, but then take a breath and feel your breath and hold still and notice how your mind, or in this case, my mind was working and it was talking to me and it was saying things like, oh my gosh, my leg is burning, you know, and the lactic acid is creeping into my quad and, you know, and am I doing it right? And, you know, I was flooded with all of these thoughts. And then my teacher reminded me, come back to your breath. And that's when I started to recognize the distinction between that knowledge, that flood of blah, 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 you know, versus the communication that my body was giving me that wasn't in language. There was no language. There wasn't English. There was just the sensation. And I had a choice in the matter in that moment. That was my first real yoga class to wake up to that, that quiet and know that I could trust my body and that my thoughts were not going to run the show. That was probably the beginning I was thinking, because I I knew I wanted to ask you that with you being a yoga teacher. So I started thinking about my first yoga Mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. And it was 1985. I was living in South Africa. And I had seen a flyer at the corner store about yoga. And I had just had my daughter. So I was also thinking about it in terms of if I'm really honest with myself in terms of 
getting my body back after having just had a baby, you know, for sure. And it it was held in a, in a, in a woman's home. I think she had converted like her garage into a studio and it was, and it was just a a handful of women. But, but I remember that fondly because that was my first like taste of it. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't study with her very long because then I was in the process of coming back to the States. But I, I just loved that. You know, yeah. it's, fun, it's fun to think back to our first our first experiences right. at things. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. And just and then, you you know, you can see how you've grown and you've changed and neither one is better than the other. Right. Neither one is better than the other. We're just who we are in that moment. And, you know, that's wonderful. What a great memory. So what advice would you give to someone who feels like they don't have the body mm-hmm. to practice yoga? And it could be whether they feel like they're inflexible or they just don't have the shape to get into right. all the poses. Right. right. I'll tell you. I So I work one-on-one with a lot of clients. I mean, I, I teach a lot of group classes, but I have more private clients that I work with today, especially after the two years of dealing with our pandemic. A lot of people wanted to take care of themselves, but didn't want to go into a group setting. And so my, my day, every day of the week, I work with, you know, two to five different people one-on-one. And at least half of them are men. And oh, those men they don't relate to themselves as though they're flexible. And, you know, I don't relate to myself as I, as though I was flexible and I, I, I've never really been a flexible person, but the practice is what makes you flexible. And the goal isn't to be flexible. Well, not in your body. The goal is to be flexible in your mind. But that said, one of my patients, one of my favorite, well, not patients, but clients has stage four Parkinson's disease. Flexibility is not even a concern. And that's not what matters. What matters is being able to work with her in that awareness. And again, it goes back to the sense of the nervous system. Yoga isn't, I mean, flex, we see people do yoga poses and we think, oh, it's because, you know, they're flexible. But what you don't see is the inner workings of your nervous system. And that's what it's about. So when I work with my client, um, you know, yesterday I worked with her and I was amazed at her ability. She's 72 years old and with stage four Parkinson's, she was able to stand on one foot and maintain balance. And it was, it was amazing because I asked her, you know, about a breath or two into her balancing, notice the thoughts you're having, notice the thoughts you're having. And I saw, you know, it's, it's difficult for Parkinson's patients to smile. And yet she got the biggest grin on her face because she saw in that moment, the connection between her thinking and her ability to balance. And gosh, she balanced better than some of my other clients do. And I think that is a great reminder that it's just, it's not there. If you have a body and you're able to think you're capable of yoga and that's it. So I don't know of a single human being that would be disqualified from practicing yoga. And, you know, if I were to look at that, you know, that question, I, I really do wonder where, where did we learn that question, that question of, I don't have the right body or I don't have the flexibility because I'd really like to nip that in the bud and just, you know, try to eliminate that concept altogether from yoga. 
And I mean, I, if I look at, so one of the things I manage is an Instagram page and, you know, I look at our social media and I see a lot of young girls out there doing amazing gymnastic type stuff and, you know, calling it yoga and it, sure it can be yoga, but I, I wish that I could see more every now and then I joke, joke about maybe standing in a grocery store line and asking the people, you know, in front of me and behind me say, Hey, you know, let's do a yoga pose real quick. You know, like anybody could do it. We could stand right there and just take a minute and stand in a balanced posture, you know, and, and to make the point that all of us are able to do yoga. As you were just talking about your client being 72 years old, I want to ask you, what is the, at the core yoga about? Is it our nervous system? Is it a spiritual um, practice or all of the above? <sighs> so yoga means to yoke, to yoke. And in, and what I make that mean is to cleanse, to purify. And, you know, we can, we can mean cleanse and purify our physical body. Or maybe for me, it means to kind of peel away the stories, peel away the layers on our thinking that keep us out of the present moment. So, um, yeah, I, to practice yoga and to engage, what does it truly mean? It's, is to feel our nervous system. And I hesitate to call it spiritual, um, because I know, you know, one of my current struggles is getting, I, I run a teen yoga program as well. And when I market to the public school system, I'm not allowed to call it yoga right now. And that's mildly upsetting for me, but I can understand. I can, I can, I understand the perspective at least. Yoga is as spiritual as you want it to be, but ultimately it comes down to the science of the body and the science of the mind. And if that's spiritual to you, then, then it is a spiritual practice. And if it's healthy and medicinal, then it's a medicinal practice. It's a well-being practice. Um, I would prefer to stay away from it as, as many labels as I possibly can. And maybe just go back to what you brought up earlier. It's a practice in being. That is absolutely perfect because I, I as I, over the years, as I've talked about going to yoga classes and everything, people do have their own ideas of what yoga is about. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And I just don't, I, I, I never want anybody to shy away from practicing being themselves, their greatest self. And I'm not just at their, you know, their skills, but at their health, you know, we've got to keep our bodies healthy so we can shine bright. So when we polish our heart, we're polishing our, the gifts that we've been given so that we can spread them out so that we can share ourselves with the people around us. And that's our mind, our mentality as well. I know yoga could be a self-care practice, mm -hmm. but how do you, if we take, put yoga to the side for just a moment, how do you practice self-care? My friends say that I am overworked. I am overworked because I really, I don't have a day that I'm not teaching right now. And yet it occurred to me the other day, I was working one-on-one -on -one with a client and um, she was struggling and I found myself growing uncomfortable and mildly bored 
with my work, with my job, so to speak, for about a minute, I, you know, I could hear my, the conversation I was having with myself. And it was one of kind of like, what time is it? How much longer is this going to go on? You know, and that lasted embarrassingly, I'll admit that, but it lasted for maybe 60 seconds. And then I realized I wasn't doing my job. I wasn't living from my heart. And I took a breath and I turned around and I, and I had an honest, authentic conversation with my client about what she was going through with her practice in that moment. And that's when I came back to what it is I truly do. And for me, that's self-care, always being true to myself, honoring my body, honoring the sense of truth within me and with the people around me. And when I'm living in that space, I'm just living. I'm not working. I'm not, I am caring for myself. And it's, it's when I stop being honest that I stop caring for myself. So there's that element. And then, and then if we need to get down to the actual physical restoration element, I go to a practice. I let another teacher teach me. I went to one this morning and it was marvelous with friends. Nonetheless, you know, I I was doing a yoga class alongside students who are usually being taught by me and it was fun. We enjoyed our, and oh, it was wonderful. And then I spend time with my daughter. We have a kitten that we love and adore and, you know, and we, we, she paints and I write and, and, you know, maybe we sit down and watch some television together, but just taking that time out really matters too. So, and then I like getting outside. Anytime I can be outside, I I go outside. Yeah. I've been talking about self-care on the podcast a lot the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 episodes, because I really want people to hear that self-care is so much more and so much deeper than having our nails done or our hair done, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that, I mean, that pampering is important. It is, but there's self-care is so much more than that. Yeah. So it really is. You know, I mean, for me, I mean, if you think about it, when we're being inconsistent with what our heart truly knows, there's usually a sense of tension in the body. And the best way to take care of ourselves is to be honest and and that tension will just disappear. And then it's like playing like a five-year-old again. You know, Mm. we are our truest self. That's, I think, what is really meant by self-care. Yeah. What's the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months? Mm, the biggest surprise. Gosh, that's a hard one for me. Oh, I, well, so my children were born in San Francisco and I took, my son currently lives in San Diego. I now live in the uh, Tampa Bay area of Florida and I've lived here for about 12 years, but I had this brilliant idea that for Christmas, my 16 year old daughter and I flew out to San Diego to visit our, my, my 21 year old son. And we drove up the coastline and visited old friends who went back to San Francisco. And I thought that I was going to be going home. I was so excited. I took the children. I was like, let's go home. I made them slide down slides that they had slid down when they were five. And, you know, and it was, it was wonderful in that sense, but it occurred to me somewhere about mid vacation that, that California wasn't home anymore. And I was, I was incredibly surprised by that. And I think it's because, you know, I got back to Florida and I discovered that this is where I had learned to shine the best that the past 12 years, and this is where my um, practice of yoga has truly unfolded, is here in the Florida area, the Tampa Bay area. 
And um, I was I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked by that because I had always related to the West Coast as where my heart was. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious because you went back and you're having fun with your children and everything, and you're surprised that that wasn't home anymore. But what do you think that that surprise or that that piece was that made you realize that? I think that I had a, I had lived in a world of nostalgia. I had a lived in the world of the past, and I had beautiful memories of time spent out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I had somewhere along the way decided that I was going to do that all over again. You know, I was going to go back there one day or, you know, or, you know, and, and that's who I truly was. But then when I was out there, I, I think the element was recognizing that I was, I had brought a certain piece of my past into my imagined future and not, and hadn't realized it. And, you know, and so I was living as though something was going to happen when the truth was, you can't do that. The past will never live in your future. Will it? <laughs> it can't, it's just not feasibly possible. And I, you know, and it wasn't a painful process, but I had to come to terms with that. I had to really recognize, no, your home is now it's right here, you know? So, you know, on vacation, I mean, fortunately I figured that out early enough on the vacation that I was allowed to appreciate the trip for what it was and then close that chapter, get on a plane and fly home and, and really embrace Florida. And I love the tropics. I love the heat you know, there's no better place than here for me. (laughs) Okay. Elizabeth, I live in Florida too. And right now this weekend, we're having (laughs) having a a snow. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible. I know. But I have loved having you as a guest. You have been just so open and vulnerable and open-hearted, and I really appreciate that. Can you tell our listeners how to find you on social media? And I will have all this in the show notes, but I also want you to touch briefly on your workshops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and more importantly, my uh, retreat. So in this year, 2022, I have a retreat down to Nosara, Costa Rica in it's July 16th for a week long trip there. It will be an explorative yoga retreat, men and women invited. Um, you get to dance with the monkeys and eat fresh mango and you can surf and take in all the yoga you can imagine and have some really beautiful dialogue. Um, and then another great retreat is my annual women's retreat. It's called finding your wild and it's in Asheville, North Carolina, and that's going to be October 14th through the 16th. Um, at a beautiful location called Prama Institute. Um, Other than that, uh, I, you know, I'm here in the Tampa Bay area. I teach yoga all around town. You can find me on my website at elizabeth-savage.com. There you could book an appointment with me. You can find me at uh, Elizabeth Savage Yoga on Instagram or Elizabeth Savage on Facebook. I post my daily or my weekly schedule there and uh, much more is coming down the pipeline soon. So stay tuned. It will all be available on my website. All right. Well, thank you again for being a guest and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Have a beautiful, cold, sunny day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Be well. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Leaving a rating and review helps to improve rankings in iTunes. It shows engagement, which may attract sponsors, and it is essential for the podcast to be discovered by new listeners. Plus, it would mean the world to me. Thanks again. Until next time, live inspired.